Well, I want you to take your Bibles, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> take your Bibles and <clears throat> turn to John chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 20 through 26. The title of the message today is A Prayer for Unity, and the series is Praying for the Church. It's now a little less than a year until I am no longer your pastor. I am um, as all of you should know, maybe some of you don't, but on the first Sunday of May, I announced that in one year I would be retiring as the pastor of North Florida Baptist Church. Not retiring from ministry, not leaving uh, the ministry, but uh, no longer being a, a senior pastor. And that is what Jan and I both believe with all of our hearts is what God wants for us and uh, what God wants for this church. Now, I have begun to do a series of my first last. Uh, we had a, a, a spring sports banquet the other night, and uh, it didn't hit me until the end when I got up to do my thing at the close, and I said, oh, wait, <clears throat> this is my first last. This is the first last thing that, uh, that I'm going to do. And then uh, we'll have a lot of last uh, during the next year or so. <clears throat> the way that our church works is that the deacons are the pulpit committee. So the pulpit committee is already in place. The deacons are the pulpit committee. Within that body, <clears throat> a search committee <clears throat> will be appointed, and then a search will begin uh, for the next uh, pastor. Now, somebody asked me last week, they said, now have they already started the search for the next pastor? And I said, I hope not, uh, <clears throat> because uh, there is a kind of a plan uh, involved in that. But before any of that takes place, let me tell you what must take place. Our church must pray, and we must learn how to pray, and we must be a praying, a praying church. Now, this summer and, and through this series, I am going to be asking uh, the deacons of our church who will uh, serve uh, in communion in a few minutes, I'm going to ask the, the pastoral staff of our church, I'm going to ask the leadership staff of North Florida Christian School. I'm going to ask Sunday school leaders <clears throat> to call together small prayer groups during uh, the summer. And uh, I'm going to challenge you probably to have at least you who are in those leadership positions to have at least uh, one, maybe two, uh, as many perhaps as three prayer meetings during uh, the summer. And and have them be cottage-type prayer meetings where uh, your Sunday school class or <clears throat> those uh, in a, in, under your leadership or whatever uh, might uh, come together for a prayer meeting. By the time that you have been had the opportunity to uh, pray in uh, different prayer groups <clears throat> that you will be invited to, and, and by the way, you don't need an invitation to pray if you know that there's a prayer group that's happening, then just go to it. You know, don't, don't wait. Uh, I would think that in the case of the choir, you might uh, have more than one prayer group. I don't know exactly how <clears throat> that would work, but I'm going to be challenging all of you to pull together prayer groups. Now, now let me be very candid about that. I, I do plan to give out and maybe send out some uh, things specifically that we are to be praying for, but let me tell you what I don't plan to do. I don't plan to organize your prayer groups. 
I don't plan to say, okay, uh, it's time for you to do your prayer group, and this is the way. I'm not going to do that. And, and let me tell you why. <clears throat> because next year this time, I won't be your pastor. And I don't know what your next pastor is going to be like. I don't know if he's going to be, um, if, if he's going to have everything organized to the nth degree. I don't know if he'll be a person that's not very organized. Uh, you know, <clears throat> there are a lot of different kinds of people who are very successful in ministry. And uh, there are a lot of very successful people who are not doing so well in ministry. So I don't know what your next pastor is going to be like, but I do know this. I do know that you have within you, those of you in leadership and those of you who are leaders but not yet are not yet in leadership, I know that you have within you the ability to organize and pull together and invite and be loving and kind and gracious and and have prayer groups. I just know that you can do that. Certainly, uh, you don't need uh, the preacher to do that. However, in preparation for that, I do want to bring some Sunday morning messages on <clears throat> topics that I consider to be very important for a praying church. And uh, I may also, I, I'm considering this, I'm not saying that I'm going to do it, but I may also bring a series of messages after I finish this brief series, a series of messages that I actually preached 15 years ago that was uh, inspired by, I think, a book written by uh, Bruce Wilkinson, and it was called The Prayer of Jabez. And I did that series. It doesn't seem like 15 years ago, but then again, it doesn't seem like I'm going on my 25th year as the pastor of this church either. So <clears throat> I may follow this up with that series, a very powerful series on prayer. That is to be determined. T- today's message is about unity, and it is taken from a prayer that Jesus prayed for himself, <clears throat> for his disciples. And this prayer, he was also praying for you, and he was praying <clears throat> for me. Here is where Jesus prays for you and me in the, <clears throat> the prayer from John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me <clears throat> through their word, that they all may be one, <clears throat> just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that, they, that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> as you have loved me. Father, I desire <coughs> that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, there is a prayer where Jesus prayed for you specifically. Jesus prayed for this church specifically, this body of believers specifically. A great historic figure in Christianity once said, the church is like a great ship pounded by waves of life's different stresses. Our duty is not to abandon ship, but to keep her on course. And of course, one of the things that I, I've pray and trust that this church will do is stay on course during the course of the next year. 
this is not a time for uh, the members of North Florida Baptist Church to become weaker in their attachment uh, to their church. It's a time for us to strengthen uh, our attachment to the church. It's a time for us to be positive and unified and together regarding this church and the future of this church and what God is doing here. A man uh, invites a friend into his home for dinner. They enjoy a delicious meal that the man's wife has graciously offered to make. The man and his friend are just catching up on life, and they're very casual about it. But about halfway through the meal, the person who was invited uh, to be there begins to do something that's pretty much unbelievable. He starts listening, <coughs> listing, excuse me, the things that the, the wife, the lady that provided the meal, could have done better. He's a guest there, but he begins to tell her <coughs> the things that, that she should have done better. He starts off by saying, this chicken is way too tough. Uh, you should have marinated it longer. It would have been better. And the broccoli <coughs> is overcooked. It's mushy. It's very bland. My 12-year-old daughter could probably cook a better meal than this. And ma'am, you should really do something, <coughs> something else with your hair. And he starts to criticize her in other areas. Now, here's a question. How long do you think that the husband would allow that to go on <clears throat> before he said, this has got to stop. I'm not, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. He loves his wife, and he knows that she isn't perfect, but she is his, and he will not put up with criticism or ridicule of her. She is his bride. She is his wife. And while she is not perfect, she is his. Sadly, believers sometimes face this kind of criticism of their church, the church that they love, the church that they consider their home. They hear words of criticism from those who are not a part of the church. They sometimes hear words from criticism from those who are, uh, that are indeed a part of the fellowship. And these things are oftentimes critical and even harmful to the unity of the, of the body. There must be unity of the body. Uh, you, you say, well, I wish that our church was bigger. I do too. I wish that our church was f- full. I certainly do as well. I, I wish a lot of things like that. But let me say this to you. Our church must be unified. <clears throat> we don't have to be full, but we must be unified. We don't have to be bigger, but we must be unified. Our music doesn't, doesn't uh, have to be this style or that style, but we must be Unified. There must be unity in the local church. And it is to that end that Jesus prayed. Even from, from this portion of the prayer of Jesus, we're going to take three lessons that I think will make real difference in our lives. Here are the three lessons. We're going to see that Jesus says, make us one. And then he prays to take us home. And then thirdly, to give us love. Make us one, take us home and give us love. Now let's look at this prayer as though we're praying it with Jesus. I want you to imagine yourself praying this prayer with Jesus. We're praying for ourselves and for our church. First, our prayer, as we've indicated, is to make us one. We, we are praying, God, make us one. Now let's, let's explore that and see what that means. First of all, there's a difference between unity and uniformity. There's a big difference between unity and uniformity. There are a lot of people who can be in in unity with each other that are not in uniformity. 
Uh, cults often are uniform, but churches are rarely uniform. Uh, we, we go to, that is, the church at 3000 North Meridian Road. We go to different places. After this service is over, we're all going to get in some form of transportation, a pickup truck, a, a car, a, a van, <clears throat> motorcycle, um, the bus, whatever it is. And we're all going to get in some mode of transportation, and we're going to go back to where we came from this morning. And it's not going to be the same place. And it's not going to be the same size. And it won't look the same. And the surroundings once inside won't be the same. That's because we're not uniform. Now, when we go to Romania, we will, we will see some of the uh, housing that was built under the dictator Ceausescu. And that housing looks uniform. Uh, it's very old and very drab, but it looks uniform. And that is because that one thing that the dictatorship wanted was uniformity. That is not the way it is in the local church. <clears throat> we have different circumstances of life. We have different tastes and so on. There's also a difference between <clears throat> unity and union. And that's really important. There, there's a body of Christ, but nothing in this passage calls for all churches uh, to be one church. That's just not the case with the New Testament church. It is not, it's never encouraged that all churches be just one church. That's not the New Testament models. There, there are many churches, but there is one body. It's the body of Christ with many local churches. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink <clears throat> of one spirit. That is absolutely true. Yet that was written to the church at Corinth. And then there was a church at Thessalonica. And then there was a church in Philippi. And, and you can go on and on it goes. Just because we call for unity in the church doesn't mean that the church is union, that all the church is just to be one particular uh, operation. Now, that being said, we can and should have unity both in the body of Christ and within the churches that are in the body of Christ. There should be a sense of oneness in a church family. And here's why. It's not about us. You, you say, well, we, we want to have a sense of oneness because North Florida Baptist Church is an important part of, of the Tallahassee, uh, the, the Tallahassee uh, uh, church scene, maybe. But that's not the reason you want unity. That's not why we are to be one. Let me tell you why we're to be one. It's about Jesus. We are to have unity to reveal Jesus. That's very, very important. We, we are here to reveal Him, going back to verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now here's the reality. What the world sees of Jesus, the world sees in you and the world sees in me. What the world sees of Jesus, the world sees in North Florida Baptist Church. Now when a Christian is found to be in disgrace, it disgraces Jesus. When a church is known for trouble, uh, then Jesus is known for trouble. Uh, not just by believers in other churches, but by people 
who need to know Jesus Christ. The church is known in that way. I'm I'm going to address that a little bit next Sunday because quite honestly, over the years, this church has had a tremendous amount of publicity, positive and negative. And we're going to talk about that a little bit next Sunday and how that that we uh, as a church body uh, can make decisions in the future that will help this church not only to be of better reputation than we are, but to be a better reflection on Jesus Christ. The life that we live and the way that our church presents the message of Christ in words and in action gives the lost world a reason to believe or to reject Jesus Christ. Today, tomorrow, during a time of transition, and in years to come, the church will be revealing Jesus Christ. Here's what a church of a sense of unity does. It helps us to reveal Jesus. It also helps us to revere Jesus. You see, this is all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Now, what is the glory that's given to you and me? Do we have glory? Why, is, why does the, the passage say that this is glory that's been given to us? Should we have glory? Well, Paul answers that question in the letter to Galatians in chapter 6 and verse 14 when he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know what he said? I glory in the cross. Any glory that I might have is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say something here, and I, and I'm, I really shouldn't say it because I don't think most of you have noticed this, but I'm going to say it. Uh, sometimes, and, and, and again, I don't think it's been subtle, but sometimes I brag on my grandchildren. It's a it's a very small thing that you, you really wouldn't catch unless I just said it, you know, and, and made it out loud. Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that God has a dispensation for that. I'm hoping that God allows those of us who have grandchildren to be held harmless in the case of boasting. And I think that he does. In Proverbs 17, 6, it says, grandchildren are the crown of the aged. Jan was talking, Jan and I were talking the other, the other day about the difference between being older, being old, or being elderly. And uh, we, we were <clears throat> discussing what it means to be elderly, and, and uh, she was saying that, that, uh, that somebody might consider us elderly. And, and I took exception to that. And I said, not so. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think I don't think that being elderly has anything to do with age. I think it has to do with attitude and condition. Case in point. Jerry Campbell sitting back there, as far as I know, is 98 years old. Uh, Maybe not that old, but you are 80, right? Or a little, are in in the neighborhood of 80, okay? More? 80 what, four? (laughs) Gee whiz, 84 84. I don't know that anybody who knows you considers you elderly. 
I mean, it's, you just don't think about Jerry Campbell as being elderly. What you think of Jerry Campbell of is this young guy who has lived for 84 years. That's the way I think of you. It really is. It really is. I don't think that I'm aged or, or old. I might be getting older, but I don't even think that you have to get elderly it just is a matter of your, your mind and your, your, the way your head works. Now, all that being said, and that was free. That was just, uh, that was just age defense right there. Uh, <clears throat> that being said, our unity as believers is a way to brag on Jesus. It's how we glorify him. Church people have a tendency to brag on their churches. And I understand that to a degree. But isn't it supposed to be about him? Do we not sing that life is worth the living just because he lives? Life's not worth the living just because uh, we had a good day in church. Our unity is here for the purpose of revering Jesus and to reflect Jesus. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. You know how children are a reflection of of the home? Children are a reflection of the home. Here's a little grandchild illustration that I rarely use, but I was over last week. Last weekend, uh, Jan uh, was in Nashville attending a graduation of of our niece, her her, uh, brother's daughter. And so <clears throat> I was over here for several days, and, and I had lost lots of weight uh, uh, and needed real food. So I drove to Jacksonville to be with my son and my, my uh, two little granddaughters over there and my daughter-in-law. And so uh, at one point, we were going to Publix, and Emerson loves to go to Publix. How many of you know what a little kid gets at Publix if you take them to the right spot? Do you know? Yeah. They get a cookie. Uh, more times than I can tell you, I've climbed up in the basket and had Jan to push me over to the bakery <clears throat> to get a cookie. But she wanted to get a cookie, so she was excited about that. And then <clears throat> we went through and, and you know, did the shopping and, and all those kinds of things and, and had a really, really good time. And then we got to the checkout counter. And when we got to the checkout counter, uh, she was looking there, there were two balloons that were hanging from the, uh, above the, the, I mean, helium balloons, they were up above the, the, uh, checkout screen. And, uh, the lady said, I know what you're looking at. And so she took one of the balloons off and she was handing it to Emerson. Now Emerson is two years old. And I want to tell you something that is universal about two-year-olds. They're jerks. They just are. I mean, you know, if, if not constantly, with occasion, but they are. And so, Emerson, uh, Paul said, Emerson, tell the lady thank you. Mm, this is not good. Tell the lady thank you, Emerson. Emerson, say thank you. Here's what Pops did at that point. I walked away. I went outside. I didn't want to see it. 
So I waited outside for what seemed like three or four hours. It was only a few minutes. And then Paul comes out. There is no balloon. There is an Emerson. And there are groceries, but there is no balloon. And he said, the lady had already tied it on her wrist. And I asked the lady to untie it and put it back at the register because she wouldn't say thank you. And I said, I understand. I didn't. (laughs) I mean, I had several excuses for her. She's probably tired. Probably her stomach hurts. She's embarrassed. She's too beautiful to speak. I mean, there were just several things that, that I knew, you know. But Paul, he told the lady, he said, I'm so sorry, ma'am. Let's take this off and you put it back up here for a, another little girl that comes through who will be grateful. And the lady said, sir, I appreciate what you're doing. You're doing the right thing. Now, I said that just to be able to tell another Emerson story, but, but, but children are a reflection on the home. What you see in them is likely what you would see in their home life. And Paul is trying to build gratitude into her because the truth is that she's a little sinner like all of us are little sinners, and you got to get that ungratitude out. When we show unity in the church, we model the unity that God has with the Father and the Son. We literally show the relationship. I want to be a good relationship. So the prayer of Jesus for the church is to make us one. Then to take us home. We had so much fun with our sons when they were growing up. The, the Ray House was, was often the place to be, and we just loved it. There, there were a lot of things that we wanted for them. But at the top of the list, we wanted them to love, like, and defend one another. We wanted home to have a sense of unity. Well, Jesus wants us to be in unity, and he wants us at home with him. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, why does he want us home. Well, he wants us there for fellowship. Have you ever really thought about what it means to be with Jesus? We have people in in here today who have lost your loved ones recently, and I'm sure that you have thought more than once about what is it really like to be with Jesus? Well, his prayer to the Father included the desire for us to be with him. So you can rest assured that when your loved one entered into his rest or her rest, you can rest assured that they went to a place where Jesus wanted them to be. He wanted them to be with him. And I think that's going to be great. I think it's going to be absolutely great when we're with the Lord. I'm not sure how we'll act, but there has to be some excitement about it. There has to be some wow there. I think there's a lot of excitement. And the good thing is that he will know each of us personally by name. Hey, Randy. I want you to come over here and meet Simon Peter. You guys are so much alike. He always spoke before he thought. Both of you verged on doing more harm than good. But in the end, you did okay. 
Do you know what part of the conversation I would like out of that? Hey, Randy. That'd be the best part of it. He knows my name. He knows your name. Get to know him in this life because when we step into his presence, he's going to call us by name. Take us home to fellowship. Take us home to worship. Don't miss these words. To see my glory that you have given me. Sometimes I will see an aging athlete on television and remember what it was like when they were in their glory days. You know why that picture's up. He just died, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? He just recently died. And his, everybody knew what he would say. I'm the greatest of all time. And that guy, if you ever watched him box in his heyday, he really was the greatest boxer of all time. Sometimes I'll see that those aging athletes. Some of you went to the stadium. <clears throat> you saw Deion Sanders when primetime was in his prime. I remember I came face to face in Nashville years ago, ago when <clears throat> the stadiums were a little different than they are now. And, and I went to see uh, Alabama uh, play uh, Vanderbilt. Notice I didn't say Vanderbilt play Alabama. Uh, it did not work that way. And, but I, uh, when the tide came to Nashville <clears throat> to shut the doors, I, um, I was walking to my seat and the Alabama football team was somehow or another walking out behind these bleachers. And we somehow or another got in a common area. And there I was face to face with Bear Bryant. Right there, face to face with Bear Bryant. <laughs> he looked at me and I said, how you doing? <laughs> I didn't say that, but I was. I was face to face with Bear Bryant. I, I got a chance to see Michael Jordan after he came back from, from uh, playing his little brief stint in baseball. I got a chance to see him play basketball. And he was just some guy out there. Just playing, boom, boom, boom. I think he's, he had changed his number to 45 then. Just boom, 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 just, just playing out there. And then all of a sudden, for about 10 minutes, Michael Jordan came on the court. And I went, oh, my goodness gracious. This is what used to play all the time. It was unbelievable. All they needed, needed was 10 minutes for them to win. But he was Michael Jordan for 10 minutes. We think about the, the glory days. When we're in heaven with Jesus, we're going to see him in his glory. We're going to see him at his best. Not that he ever has a worst, but we're going to see him at his best. In prophetic words about Jesus, the book of Isaiah says, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. However, when we see Jesus, he will be glorified. We will see him in his glory. Jesus' prayer was to take us home to fellowship, to worship, to eternity. And now verse 24, uh, the entire verse. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with you where I am to see 
my glory that you have given me because you loved me from the foundation of the world. You know what that means? That's the forever thing right there. The unity of the Father and the Son, the glory of the Son, they're all eternal. If you think about the eternal nature of God, I mean, think about as far toward the beginning as you can think and then beyond, there's God. And you think as far toward the uh, future as you can possibly think and then beyond, there's God. He is eternal. It is mind-blowing to think of the eternal God. The psalmist wrote, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth, the world uh, and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I don't know what all of that means. But I do know that at the end of this life or the appearing of Jesus Christ, we're going to be ushered into his everlasting. We're going to become part of his everlasting. In fact, when I got saved, I became part of his everlasting right then. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. At age eight, I stepped into God's everlasting. That is a phenomenal thing. Go back as far as you can and as ahead as you can. And God is there. The prayer of Jesus is for us to share in his everlasting. That is absolutely amazing. Let me close. Make us one, take us home, and give us love. Unity and love. Those are two ingredients necessary in the local church. This church has got to be in unity. And this church has got to be a place of love. Jesus prayed for both. John 17, 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will, uh, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may, may be in them and I in them. What benefit is it? is the love of, of God. What benefit is the love for God? Let me give you three things we're done. First of all, helps us to know God. The world does not know God, but believers should know him. We should know him as we love him and as his love is in our hearts and in our lives and as we live his love. When his love is in our lives, we accomplish something that, that must be part of every believer's life to make him known. That's what happens when we have the love of God in our lives. We are able then to make him known. Jesus made known his love for the Father as God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that son gave himself willingly then. We make known the Father and the Son so we have love for one another and demonstrates the love of God through our fellowship and it shows his love. There's a difference between making a show and showing it can be uncomfortable to be around people who are making a show. I had somebody ask me the other night. I, I went to the funeral home and, and uh, somebody <laughs> asked me. You, some of you know who it was. It's not important who it was. But I went to the funeral home for um, Don Stanley who passed away this week at age 94. And, and, or last week, I guess. But, it, but he said, uh, this, this person at the funeral home, looked at me and he said, Brother Ray, you still have the love of the Lord Jesus in your heart and rejoicing in him? 
And I said, no, nah, it's wore off. <laughs> like that. I said, really, I'm just, just barely getting by. <laughs> then I laughed a little bit with him. But the truth is, I've never been much. I'm, I'm a little showy, but I've never been much at making a show of Jesus. I've just never been much of that. It, it can be uncomfortable. Performing the Christian life is different than living it. Showing the love of God is different than making it show or show. My hope and prayer is that this church in the months and the years ahead will be unified and will show the love of God. There's a way that it's done, and it's by having the genuine love of God in our hearts, which leads to this spirit in our church. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to think about how you feel about your church family. What do you, what can you do or, or need to do to move toward unity in love? Jesus is praying for us. And he looks forward to our being with him. But until we are, he wants us to be like him. And you know what that's like? It's unifying and it's love. And my prayer today is that you would search your heart and if there's anything that might encourage one ounce of disunity or remove one ounce of love from this church, pray that God brings to your heart a new love and a new unity.